Hi, true crime fans. Welcome back to another episode of Grace is on the Case. I am your host, Grace Lynn Keller, and this is part two of the FBI's top 10 most wanted. This episode is a two-parter, so if you haven't yet, go back and listen to part one, which I posted last week. Um, and that one focuses on fugitives 10 through six on the top 10 list. And now the second part will be focusing on fugitives five through one. Um, and also, I just wanted to throw this in there, a quick trigger warning. The case I'll be discussing connected to the second fugitive on the list involves the sexual assault of a young minor. So if you'd like to skip that one, totally understandable. Um, it is the Alexis Flores case, and I'll be discussing it second to last. So now that that's out of the way, let's get into it. So just a reminder from last time, the list of these fugitives is public and it can be found on the FBI's website, fbi.gov wanted top 10. I use this list as my main source for the episode with supporting information from Wikipedia articles on each fugitives. I'll also be uploading all of the fugitives photos to the show Instagram page, Grace is on the Case podcast as well as on our website, gracesonthecasepodcast.com. And you can find links to all of my source material at that website as well. And one more important thing, if you have any information that you think may be helpful in the investigation or apprehension of any of these fugitives, you can submit a tip at fbi.gov tips. These tips are anonymous. There's no way for them to track you down and show your name to the public. Um, this is just a way for you to submit information that you think may be helpful to the case. And I just want to say that even if you don't think the information you have is relevant or will be helpful, it could be the tip authorities need to crack the case wide open. Even if you think that what you have is not going to be helpful, or even if you just think you have random information involving one of these cases that the FBI hasn't heard yet, maybe reach out. Um, you could be the one to help solve something. So now with that out of the way, let's get started. So I'm just going to dive right into this episode and pick up where we left off. Coming in at number five on the list is Rafael Caro Quintero. Caro Quintero is wanted for a long list of charges, including violent crimes in aid of racketeering, conspiracy to commit violent crimes in aid of racketeering, conspiracy to kidnap a federal agent, kidnapping of a federal agent, felony murder of a federal agent, aiding and abetting and accessory after the fact. So long list. <laughs> the murder of a federal agent charge comes from his alleged involvement of the kidnapping and murder of Drug Enforcement Administration Special Agent Enrique Kiki Camarena in Mexico in 1985. Additionally, he is said to hold an active key leadership position in the Sinaloa cartel and the Caro Quintino Drug Trafficking Organization based out of Bagaraguato, Sinaloa, Mexico. He was also a founding member of the Guadalajara Cartel, which is one of the original cartels um, in the 1970s. So lots on this guy. Caro Quintero was actually previously sentenced to 40 years for the murder he's wanted for back in 1985. And he began serving that sentence. And while he was inside, the Guadalajara cartel that he helped found broke up. 
Uh, this disseminated members into other cartels, one of which being the Sinaloa cartel. The Mexican government actually released him in August of 2013 after concluding that his trial had been improper, something had gone wrong during the trial and he wasn't tried correctly. Upon his release, Caro Quintero find, found his way back to cartel leadership, this time with the Sinaloa cartel, which is where that tip comes from, um, that he has an active leadership position still to this day in that cartel. Beyond this though, the US pressured the Mexican government to re-arrest Caro Quintero for his alleged involvement into this murder um, because it was the murder of a DEA agent. And so then the Mexican government issued another warrant for his arrest for the same murder. I'm not sure if Mexico has any sort of double jeopardy statutes like the US does, um, but it seems like what happened the first time with Caro Quintero was the Mexican equivalent of a mistrial in the US. I'm not sure exactly what they call it there. Um, so double jeopardy wouldn't apply anyway, but again, not sure even with the double jeopardy situation, what they have in place down there. Um, but that is how he was able to have another issue warranted for a crime that he was already tried and sentenced for. So now with that kind of like exposition out of the way, I'm going to discuss what actually happened. Um, so in November 1984, Mexican authorities raided and burned $160 million worth of marijuana on a ranch tied to Caro Quintero. At the time, Agent Camarena was working undercover and led law enforcement to the ranch. So he was on the inside with Caro Quintero uh, working undercover. So once he was discovered to be an undercover agent, Caro Quintero had Camarena and his pilot kidnapped, brutally tortured, and murdered. Caro Quintero then left Mexico on March 9th, 1985, with his associates and his girlfriend, Sara Cristiana Cosillo Jaona. Former Mexican judicial police chief Armando Pavan Reyes reportedly allowed Caro Quintero to flee from the airport in Guadalajara in a private jet to seek refuge in Costa Rica after receiving a $300,000 bribe, um, which unfortunately is not uncommon in Mexico. Um, there is a lot of police corruption there. The police chief was fired shortly afterward though and was charged with bribery and complicity in the Camarena murder, which you know is good, justice like that. On April 4th, 1985, Caro Quintero was arrested in his Costa Rica mansion and extradited back to Mexico to face charges. He was tried and sentenced to 40 years, the maximum sentence in Mexico at the time for the murder and the other crimes that he committed. While his original cartel fell apart after his imprisonment, U.S. authorities believe that he kept his criminal empire running from prison through family members, laundering millions of dollars in the process. So now we are back up to present day where he, you know, was sentenced those 40 years, served part of it, and then was released. So on August 9th, 2013, Caro Quintero was released after serving 28 years after a tribunal had concluded that he was improperly tried the first time around. After this release, the U.S. began pursuing Caro Quintero for the murder of Camarena and sought to eventually extradite him. On the same day, almost immediately after his release, Mexican authorities issued another warrant for Caro Quintero's arrest 
after the U.S. petitioned them to re-arrest him. If he is ever arrested, the U.S. has 60 days to present their extradition papers, and Caro Quintero has not been seen in public since that day when he was released. Caro Quintero, who sometimes uses the alias Rafa, was added to the most wanted list on April 12, 2018. While authorities don't know where he's located, he probably is in Mexico and is known to frequent the area of Bagregado, Sinaloa, Mexico, um, and he also has ties to Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico, and Costa Rica. The FBI warns that he should be considered armed and extremely dangerous, despite the fact that he is pretty old now. There's also people that say that he would not be able to keep up his criminal empire and his active position in the Sinaloa cartel because of his old age, but authorities do still believe he is doing all of this. So number four on the FBI's most wanted list is Eugene Palmer. Palmer is wanted for his alleged involvement in the murder of his daughter-in-law outside her home in Stony Point, New York. Eugene's son, John, and John's wife, Tammy, and their two children lived at this property, which was owned by Palmer, who lived next door. Over time, John and Tammy's relationship began to deteriorate, which led the couple to begin to see other people, and Tammy also filed for a restraining order against John, which enraged Palmer. She threatened to file for divorce and sue for the house, which began a heated feud between Tammy and Palmer. On September 24, 2012, Tammy and her two children walked down to the bus stop and then she returned to her home. It is believed that Palmer was lying in wait in the woods behind the home, ready to ambush Tammy. As she walked back toward her home, Palmer allegedly fired on her from a distance with a shotgun. The first shot hit her arm and the second missed and the third hit her chest, proving to be fatal. The third was also shot from a close range, meaning that the shooter approached Tammy as he shot. After the shooting, Palmer fled in his pickup truck from the scene, and the same truck was later found abandoned near Harriman State Park. Palmer fled into the park on foot, and police called dogs in to aid the search. The dogs followed his scent to a campground, but then lost it and couldn't pick it up from there. Despite continued and multiple searches, no trace of Palmer has ever been found. Palmer was added to the top 10 list on May 19, 2019. He is an experienced hunter, avid outdoorsman, and knows all that kind of stuff, so he theoretically would have been able to survive in the woods for multiple days. But because so much time has passed since the crime and literally no trace of Palmer has ever been found, it's questionable whether he is still alive and if so, authorities have very little idea where he could be. One defining feature of Palmer's is that his left thumb is deformed. And the FBI says he should be considered armed and extremely dangerous. So if you think you have contact with him, do not confront him. Instead, you should call the police or submit a tip. Moving along, our number three fugitive, we have Jose Roldolfo Villarreal Hernandez. Hernandez is wanted for interstate stalking and conspiracy to commit murder for hire. So basically he stalked someone across state lines and had a hitman take him out. On top of that, he is a drug trafficker and is reportedly the leader of the Beltran Leva cartel. Although his alleged drug smuggling activities are not why he's on the most wanted list. 
The person he had killed was Juan Jesus Guerrero Chapa, which was carried out on May 22nd, 2013 in South Lake, Texas. Hernandez is also a fugitive in Mexico and is believed to be tied to numerous other murders there. The stalking and murder of Chapa began when Hernandez's father was murdered by the Gulf Cartel, which had an ongoing feud with Hernandez's own cartel. Chapa was a lawyer and reportedly had ties to the Gulf Cartel, as well as represented alleged Gulf Cartel leader, Osil Cardenas Guillen. Hernandez blamed Chapa personally for the death of his father and wanted to get revenge. To exact this revenge, Hernandez hired a team to deal with Chapa, who was living in South Lake, Texas. By this time, he was also a confidential informant for the U.S. authorities, and so that allowed him to legally live inside the country. Hernandez sent his team to first track down and then take out Chapa from Mexico. On May 22, 2013, two hitmen, only known as Clorox and Captain, located and followed Chapa and his wife to their vehicle. As Chapa climbed into the driver's seat and his wife loaded bags into the car, the men pulled up behind the vehicle. The passenger in the car containing the two hitmen got out and fired multiple 9mm rounds at Chapa from a handgun. Chapa was hit on the side and in the back before slumping over motionless in his car. The shooter then returned to his own car and the two men escaped the scene. Chapa was taken to the hospital where he was pronounced dead and his wife escaped the ordeal unharmed. Three men involved in the hit have already been arrested for their crimes while the two hitmen and Hernandez still remain at large. According to witness testimony, Chapa's sister took revenge on Hernandez for the death of her brother by having one of Hernandez's relatives beheaded and then sent him a video of the severed head. Don't like that. Hernandez is believed to be hiding in Mexico currently. The cartel he runs operates in the region of San Pedro Garza Garcia, Nueva Leon, Mexico. He also has ties to or may visit Monterrey, Mexico and Mexico City, Mexico. Authorities warn Hernandez should be considered armed and extremely dangerous, so do not engage with him if you believe you have contact. Instead, call the police or submit a tip. Number two on the list is Alexis Flores, who is wanted for his alleged involvement in the kidnapping, sexual assault, and murder of a child in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Irina de Jesus was just five years old when she was abducted in 2000. Flores was born in Honduras in 1975 and immigrated to the U.S. illegally sometime before 2000, but the date to exactly when he came over here is unclear. In the summer of 2000, though, a Huntington Park, Philadelphia resident named George Contreras took in a homeless drifter who called himself Carlos. Contreras gave him shelter, clothing, and a job as a handyman. Then, on July 28th of the same summer, five-year-old Arena de Jesus was reported missing. Five days later, on August 3rd, 2000, her body was discovered in the basement of an empty apartment building. De Jesus had been sexually assaulted, strangled, and then wrapped in a trash bag after being kidnapped by her attacker. There was also a t-shirt with a distinct political logo on it that had de Jesus's blood on it. The building she was found in was believed to be the same one that the drifter Carlos was staying in at the time. 
Police questioned the neighborhood and asked residents about the distinct t-shirt found at the scene. And when they got to Contreras and questioned him, he recognized the shirt as one of the things that he had lent to Carlos after taking him in. He also noted that Carlos had not been seen in the area since DeJesus went missing. This then prompted authorities to spread the word that Carlos was wanted for questioning in connection with the DeJesus case and a sketch of him was created, which was profiled on the TV show, America's Most Wanted. Unfortunately, nothing came of these efforts to track down Carlos. So all of that happened in 2000, and now I'm gonna kind of jump forward in time to 2002. Uh, basically in the years after DeJesus's body was initially found, no real forward motion was able to have occurred in her case, and there was no luck tracking down this mysterious Carlos guy. So by then, police figured that he wasn't even using a real name, and they really didn't have any other information on him besides the name Carlos. So now we're going to come back to our fugitive Alexis Flores, and I promise this is all connected. Just bear with me for a sec. So Flores was arrested in 2002 for shoplifting, but he managed to avoid the authorities discovering that he was an undocumented immigrant. He ran out of luck in 2004, though, when police responded to a noise complaint at Flores' residence, which is now in Arizona. Um, he was no longer in Philadelphia. He provided the police with false identity documents, which is a felony, and the police arrested Flores for forged documents. Flores was incarcerated after that for 60 days, and then he was deported back to Honduras in June of 2005. Then in 2006, long after his other arrest, release and deportation, police decided to enter Flores' DNA, which had been taken when he was arrested into CODIS. A quick crash course for anyone unfamiliar with CODIS, it stands for Combined DNA Index System, and it's basically a national database of a bunch of people's DNA. Police can use it to try and match DNA samples found at crime scenes into the database um, and because of privacy laws in the United States, not everyone's DNA is in there. There's not like some big old database with every person's DNA ever in it. Um, but it's pretty standard nowadays for police to take samples of DNA from people who have been convicted of felonies. So the database is mostly convicted felons. And then there are some occasional exemptions as well, people who have given their DNA um, just to be transparent during a case if they were a person of interest or sometimes maybe misdemeanor um, offenders had given DNA, but it's a big old database, lots of DNA samples in there. So authorities entered Flores' DNA sample into CODIS and at the time nothing matched anything, but once they entered it, it was logged, so now it just lives in the database for future use. This came in handy when in March 2007, Police in Huntington Park decided to enter DNA found at the scene of DeJesus' murder in Dakotas, and believe it or not, they got a match. Now, I'm sure you can guess who the match was, but if you haven't figured it out already, that match was none other than Alexis Flores, who is believed to be the mysterious Carlos at this point. Now, this is a big blow to police because the police in Arizona literally had Flores in custody for 60 days and did all the stuff to deport him. And he was sitting right there in a prison. Um, but because he was deported to Honduras, police from the US can't just like storm down there and go find him. He's in another country now that has their own laws and regulations. So unfortunately that can't be done. 
So on March 22nd, 2007, a local arrest warrant and a federal arrest warrant were both issued for Flores for the charges of murder and various other felonies. Um, but like I said, unfortunately, the US and Honduras do not have an extradition treaty. So even if we were able to locate Flores, if he was in Honduras still, they can't file the correct paperwork um, and go down there and get him because there is no treaty like that in place. So since they can't actually go find Flores, they added him to the most wanted list on June 2nd, 2007. There was also an Interpol red notice issued for him as well. Quick little side note, Interpol stands for International Police. It is a group of a bunch of international law enforcement working together to stop crime on the international level. Um, so there, there is also kind of like a warrant type thing uh, circulating through Interpol as well, if any Interpol people were able to intercept Flores. Presently, authorities believe Flores is either still in Honduras or possibly back in the United States. He has ties to Phoenix, Arizona and to Schaumburg, Illinois, which he had stated was a previous residence when he was in jail for that 60 days before being deported. Flores has a host of known aliases, including Mario Flores, Mario Roberto Flores, Mario F. Roberto, Alex Contreras, and Alesis Contreras. He's also been known to use multiple different birthdays, including July 18, 1975, July 18, 1982, September 15, 1980, and July 17, 1982. And then as far as defining features go, he has a large scar across his right cheek, which is pretty distinctive. So Flores is considered to be armed and extremely dangerous. So if you recognize his photo or any of the aliases or birthdays or any of those number of things combined together that I just listed, contact police or submit an anonymous tip. Do not engage with him. So that brings us to our final and most wanted fugitive on the list, Jason Derrick Brown. Brown is wanted for first degree murder and armed robbery with his connection to the murder of armored truck guard Robert Keith Palomares and the theft of money out of the truck in Phoenix, Arizona. So Brown was born in Los Angeles in 1969 and he graduated from Laguna Beach High School. If you're not from the US, this is a very like well-known popular area, well-known high school. Um, he also speaks fluent French and has a master's degree in international business. He is also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, for which he served a mission in Paris from 1988 to 1990. Then after this mission, he went back to Orange County, California, where he had previously resided. Um, so fast forward to 2004, and Brown was running two businesses out of his home in Salt Lake City, Utah, which was his new residence. Brown is reported to have expensive tastes and favor a luxurious lifestyle, which he supported through employment as a toy salesman and as a golf equipment importer. Brown made it seem as though he was a very wealthy man, but behind the scenes, his finances were actually in shambles. He had defaulted on at least one large loan and had racked up tens of thousands in debt. To keep the facade up, it's believed that Brown ran check and bank fraud scams, and authorities think that he may have been behind a number of unsolved petty thefts and home invasions in Salt Lake City at the time. So in November of 2004, Brown, who was now living in Ahwatukee, Arizona, legally purchased a 45 caliber Glock pistol and passed all the necessary background checks to begin using it. These background checks included his fingerprints being taken and submitted to state and federal authorities, 
if you're unfamiliar with gun laws, that is a requirement. You get your fingerprints taken when you legally purchase a weapon, and those fingerprints are then entered into a state and a national fingerprint database. So days later then, on November 29th, 2004, Robert Keith Palomares was doing weekend deposits for the armored truck business that he worked for outside of an AMC movie theater in Phoenix. Around 10 a.m., a hooded gunman ambushed Palomares, shooting him five times in the head with a 45 caliber Glock pistol. The gunman took $56,000 in cash and he fled the scene on a bicycle. Palomares was pronounced dead when he arrived at the hospital. Authorities found the bicycle used to flee the scene in and lifted fingerprints from it, which instantly connected Brown to the crime because they had just taken his fingerprints for purchasing the gun. Soon after, he was considered the prime suspect in the case and an arrest warrant was issued on December 6th for the charges of armed robbery and murder. Authorities believe Brown's dire financial situation was a possible motive. After being identified as the prime suspect, Brown traveled from Phoenix to Henderson, Nevada, then on to Las Vegas, swapping out his car. He then continued on to Orange County, where he stayed with relatives until December 6th. Brown then traveled to San Diego, right near the Mexican border, before backtracking and going all the way up north to Portland, Oregon. And then after this, Brown completely disappeared, which really frustrated authorities. They actually had a near miss with Brown. They arrived at the relative's home in Orange County about an hour after he had already left. Um, so they were quite frustrated at this point trying to track this guy down. So on January 16th, 2005, Brown's most current known vehicle was found abandoned in a long-term parking lot at the Portland International Airport. By this time, FBI had looked into over 200 leads in the case, with most of them being outside the state of Arizona and many actually being outside the country. Because of his general California surfer dude appearance, the FBI has received more tips on Brown than any other fugitive on the list. Brown also bears a very crazy resemblance to the actor Sean Penn, and once authorities even arrested one of Penn's doubles, uh, mistaking him for Brown himself. So that was, you know, kind of a blunder. <laughs> Brown was added to the most wanted list on December 8th, 2007, and the most recent credible sighting of him happened in August 2008 near the Hogel Zoo in Salt Lake City. This sighting is actually deemed quite credible because it came from a man who had accompanied Brown on the mission trip that he took to Paris back in the late 80s. This witness said that they made eye contact while both stopped at a red light, and upon the mutual recognition of each other, Brown accelerated through the red light and sped away. The witness also shared that Brown had longer hair and a darker tan than when he had committed the crime uh, years prior. So authorities now believe that Brown may be living under their noses actually still in Utah, hiding within the Mormon community there under a possible assumed identity, possibly even living with a partner who may not be aware of who he really is. He also has ties to California, specifically Orange County and Arizona, specifically in Phoenix. Beyond these U.S. locations, authorities believe that he also could be outside of the country, possibly living in France, possibly specifically Paris um, or Quebec, Canada, due to his fluency in the French language and his prior mission work. Other possible countries that they believe he may be hiding in are Thailand and Mexico due to other international tips and trips that he had taken prior. He is also known to frequent nightclubs and be very flamboyant when it comes to showing off his wealth and luxury items, 
So they also say maybe look out for specifically the nightclub scene in those areas. Brown has a number of known aliases, including Jason D. Brown, Derek Brown, Greg Johnson, Harline Johnson, Greg Harline Johnson, John Brown, and Jay Brown. He is believed to still be in possession of the gun that he used in the murder and robbery, so authorities warn that Brown should be considered armed and extremely dangerous. Again, do not confront or engage with him if you believe that you have contact with him. Instead, call the police, submit a tip, you know the drill by now. So that is all for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in to part two. Just another quick reminder that if you have any information that you think could be helpful with the apprehension of these fugitives or further investigation into their cases, you can submit an anonymous tip at fbi.gov tips. And again, if you think you recognize or believe to have contact with any of the men discussed today, do not confront them, do not engage with them. All of them are considered to be armed and extremely dangerous. So instead, call law enforcement, um, or again, use that tip hotline on the FBI website. I'm gonna be posting, like I said at the beginning, the photos of these men from this episode, as well as the last episode, all of that is gonna be on the show's Instagram, Grace is on the Case Podcast, as well as our website, graceisonthecasepodcast.com. Go have a look there. You never know, you may recognize someone and you might just be the good Samaritan who breaks open a case. So that is all for now. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see y'all next time.